My mind's a little mushed now at the end of three days. This is Pulse Check. I'm Ruth Reader. It's a fabulous time with all the innovations that are coming to light. During the Milken Future of Health conference this week, we asked attendees what health policy they'd change if they had a magic wand, what the biggest obstacles are to improving health care, and on the last day, the most exciting new idea they heard this week. I'd say one of the most exciting things are some developments in combining good clinical care and practice with advances in technology to actually have what I would say are significant impacts on patient care outcomes and actually even the cost of providing that care. I really liked uh, a lot of the focus on the panels on food and how food is like one of the main things we can take care of to take care of our health. Well, I've listened to some really interesting discussions about aging and all the different disorders that constitute that aging phenomenon. I don't find the gap really that we have in terms of preparing for aging and how we can deal with that so much better. Finally starting to do a lot of the things that we tried to do 20 years ago when uh, I was at Faster Cures, which is letting people have their data, collaboration across institutions, and a whole new, more democratic approach to how we develop drugs with more involvement from patients. So that's really encouraging to me. I also sat down with retiring Republican Representative Fred Upton, a former chair of the House Energy and Commerce Committee. Hi. We've not met before, but I'm Ruth. Bruce? Bruce? Ruth. Ruth. I'm Ruth. sorry. That's okay. Sorry, right, right. Everyone thinks that I'm saying Bruce, but I think yeah. it's because Ruth is such an old name <laughs> yeah, that no yeah. one thinks that I can possibly be I had an that. Annie Ruth. That's <laughs> a good name. That's a good too. name. Yeah, and Baby Ruth is my favorite candy bar. Okay. Who told me an honestly pretty fun fact about the Baby Ruth candy bar the history of it. You know you know how they got the name? That was a former president's little Oh, child. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, so they named it. Oh, this the, is a great history lesson. It was not Coolidge. I don't know, someone in the 20s, anyway. One of Upton's biggest priorities in office was the Cures 2.0 bill. I'm a Republican. De- you know, defense spending is, is real important, but so is health research. And there's not another country that can do it like we can. The Cures 2.0 bill focuses on pandemic preparedness, long COVID, ensuring that the FDA and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services are embracing new technology and innovations and building on the development of ARPA-H. He's also pushing for the passage of the Pasture Act, which proposes reforming America's antibiotic market and preparing for the growing crisis of antibiotic-resistant superbugs. To look up this. All right, I'm all yours. We're going to have votes here shortly, so I'm going to go back Okay, go. Up. You're coming to the end of the term. What are your priorities for this end of year? Is it the Pasture Act? Is it getting I care of a lot about the Pasture Act. Uh, and sadly, now, I'm an optimist. You know, I'm a Wolverine. I'm a Cubs fan. It was a long century. Uh, I'm not very encouraged this year about Pasture. We're just running out of time. But it's, but it's you know, it's at least 50,000 deaths a year. I mean, it's something that's not going away. I, I'm giving a speech a little bit later to a pretty big group focused on health care this next year. We've, we've got to push this again. We've got to find bipartisanship uh, to try and get it done. I think that we can. I, I mean, I look at my successor now, once removed, I guess you'd say twice removed, uh, Kathy McMorris-Rogers. Health care is a, a big issue for her, too. Uh, uh, and uh, so I'd like to think that we can look at a real bipartisan effort uh, to try and get this done. It costs money. We know that. But it also saves lives. 
but we've got some other issues that I think we are going to get done in the still in the last uh, couple weeks. Been working with Richard Burr, with Roy Blunt uh, on the Senate side. Of course, we passed an authorization for the ARPA-H. We funded it. Remember, don't learn this in ninth grade civics, but you all understand it. You got an authorization and an appropriation. You need sort of both to get it done. The money's there. We got to make sure that it it's being spent the way that we want it to be versus who knows how. And uh, you may see that language then in the CR, you know, similar to what we passed uh, in the House uh, a number of months ago. Uh, we also had, as part of the PDUFAs, the uh, user fee bills, uh, some important provisions on real-world evidence. It's a tongue twister, RWE. Uh, but again, this is an important avenue for us to proceed on and really get the best information to CMS and to the FDA and you know, work just to really track what's working and what's not. Going forward, what kind of legislation do you want to sort of, I don't know, shepherd on the Republican side going forward and sort of after you leave? Well, remember, I have, we have this thing called ethics. <laughs> I am prohibited for a year of talking legislation with my colleagues, uh, uh, so I'm going to be very careful <laughs> that I don't violate that. But you know what? Uh, what really drove us on this was what family isn't impacted with some of these diseases? You know, my family were impacted by cancer. Thank goodness they're all survivors. My neighbor passed away with Parkinson's. I mean, we all know these stories. And, you know, with childhood cancers, I mean, all of the rare diseases. Once I got on the health subcommittee way back in 1991, you learned about diseases that you had no knowledge about before. I mean, one of the things that what really drove us on cures was SMA, uh, uh, you know, a very rare spinal disease that's fatal, usually by age 11 or 12. Uh, I think we got a cure for it now, uh, and it was instrumental as part of you know driving the, uh, what we did on on 21st century cures. So there is support on both sides of the aisle uh, to really see this happen. It's, but it's important for the interest groups, from the disease groups, the coalition that's there that's so strong, uh, our university researchers, uh, and you know we. We did something that maybe Congress doesn't do a lot, and that is we really did listen. Our ears were out. We did lots of roundtables. Uh, we asked for suggestions. The Milken Institute was awesome in terms of what they provided. Uh, uh, the private discussions that we had, uh, the ideas that we garnered from them. But then ultimately, the effort to really have the money for the additional research. I mean, we did... $45 billion over 10 years. And Paul Ryan, to his credit, said, Fred, you got to pay for this. You know, hey, I worked for President Reagan a lot of years ago. Deficits do matter. And we came up with the pay force. And then they got stolen. <laughs> yes, we said what they were. So we had to come up with the pay force twice. But at the end of the day, we saw that boost. But we can't give up on that. We just can't. Do you think there's someone who may pick up the baton? No, there is. There is. Oh, That's okay. a good question. <laughs> I can't, you know, Diana DeGette's going to continue to be engaged, and she's been 
a real trooper with me. Uh, you know, she came to my district, I went to hers. Uh, got a lot of connections. Uh, but we've identified a Republican that will fill my shoes, not ready to say who he is. I'm giving away the gender, I know. Um, but I'm not. Uh, but I think uh, you'll see that relatively soon. He's agreed, uh, and uh, there'll be a good team effort. And I gotta believe that it'll be continue to be a priority as the torch gets passed from from Fred Upton to Greg Walden to Frank Pallone to now Kathy McMorris Rogers. She cares a lot about health research and finding cures for lots of different things. And so I think that bipartisan coalition will remain very strong. Can I sneak into rapid fires? Let me give you two quick questions. One is, what is your, what are you most proud of that you've accomplished in well, your tenure? Well, it's cures. I mean, that was... Is I there mean, anything specifically within cures, something that was like, I don't know? Well, just the money. You know, you know yeah. again, you know, I'm not a scientist. I was a journalism major like you, right? No. Uh, you know, I don't... I don't want to make, I want science to make the decisions. Uh, and uh, that's why it was so important also to pass ARPA-H because, you know, that was an avenue as sort of a separate arm. Uh, and they would look at things that were maybe a little off the shelf or uh, that might have, you know, just been reserved for, for years later, but really maybe find a breakthrough therapy uh, to try and get done. But, you know, as much as it was important for drugs, it's also the same for devices. Um, you know, knees and hips and, you know, those things, uh, you know, they're cutting-edge technology, too. And, again, for me, in my district, Stryker's headquartered there, you know, major device manufacturer. And, they, you know, it's exciting for me as I walk through and, you know, know, know the people there to see what they've got ready to, to move forward to. And... They, too, need those approvals from the FDA to, to get them to market, to create the jobs, to make lives better for all of us. Any regrets or missed opportunities? Well, I would have liked to have seen our full thing on Cures 2.0 done. Um, but we, in essence, ran a little, little bit out of time. But, you know, COVID hurt us. I mean, you can't, I mean, having one hearing room, having, you know, these hearings done on Zoom, so it's like Hollywood Squares instead of being able to walk down the dais and, you know, touch someone like a Debbie Dingle or somebody else on both sides of the aisle, you know, can we work on this amendment or do something like that? Uh, that hurt us. You know, when I was chairman, we had pretty much five, six, seven, even eight hearings a week, but we had multiple committee rooms. Now we just have one because of COVID. We couldn't, you know, you know people had to be separated. So that slows the legislative process even more. So, and you got to work with the Senate. So, you got to build those relationships. And for me, uh, you know, I'm over on the Senate floor probably about once a month. You know, I go over to the cloakroom. I, I talk to my colleagues over there. A lot of them came from our committee. And, you know, I look at Bill Cassidy, who's been a champion on, on you know, health issues. He was on our committee before he you know, goes over to the Senate. Of course, he's going to be running the health committee now. So. It's, you know, personal relationships really do matter. And that's what I try to do uh, during my tenure. Well, thank you so much for joining us and making time. Politico is something I look at multiple times every day online. So thanks for the, the good job that you all do. We'll be right back. 
At Milken, I moderated a panel on health AI. Before the panel, I spoke with John Halamka, head of platforms for the Mayo Clinic. Artificial intelligence, I think we can agree, in healthcare is a bit of the Wild West, right? The FDA has issued guidance for commercial algorithms, but to a certain extent, people are doing their own thing and there aren't an agreed upon set of standards for how, you know, healthcare AI should be or be built or any of these things. And that at times has led to some not so great results for patients. In some cases, widely used algorithms have bias built into them um, that affects certain patients. In other cases, AI doesn't work as well as, as it's been promised to. Um, and so I know, so the Coalition for Health AI has published this document with some ideas around how to put standards in place for how AI is built, how data is structured, how it's validated, implemented, monitored, continuously evaluated and tweaked. Um, and so from reading this document, it seems like it boils down to three facets. You outline an implementation guide, an assurance accreditation lab, and a registry. And I was wondering if you could talk about these pieces and how they work. So what's bias? What's equity? What's fairness? What's testability, usability, safety, transparency, and reliability? Well, those are all words. But if you were to ask a dozen AI implementers, they would give you a 13 different answers, right? So part of our work as published in this implementation guidance, this blueprint, is defining crisply each of those terms and how to measure it, looking at a landscape analysis of what has been done in the past and trying to build a consensus, a guiding coalition, so that in the country, we have a set of expectations when an algorithm is generated, how it will be evaluated. Because at the moment, what we're seeing exactly as you said is wonderful companies are generating these things and unfortunately, they're being treated as magic, not math. And so we're trying to bring back the math so you can at least understand what it is you're getting. But then turning it, those measures into action requires a bit more infrastructure than we have today. So I'm curious how you see these entities being stood up. A lot of this activity that you've heard us describe will be public-private partnerships. And there won't be just one. So Mayo has already announced that it will create a validation and assurance lab where we can take any algorithm from anyone and run it against 10 million patients. Well, we have every expectation MITRE is going to do the same thing, you know, against some of its synthetic data and that other academic organizations and startups will do the same thing. Uh, and so just as with the certification of electronic health records, there is a laboratory run by Verizon because <laughs> they're good at evaluating electronic stuff. <laughs> and there's a laboratory run by Drummond Corporation and so on and so on. So I don't probably think of this as the domain so much of a Lawrence Berkeley or a Livermore or you know, something like that. It's probably more private sector, but the national or nationwide registry might be something that a public-private partnership would put together. I'm curious how this setup that you're describing with an accreditation lab, with a national registry, you know, how would these entities work with the government, maybe specifically the FDA? I don't know if there are other government agencies that you think 
would play a particular role here, but how do you envision that? So look at what happened in electronic health records. So, you know, the High Tech Act said, oh, there will be laboratories that are independently operated that will evaluate products based on a set of government suggested criteria. And then we'll report the results of that evaluation to certification bodies and the certification body will decide if it's fit for purpose or not. So the government wasn't the lab. The government wasn't the certifier. The government just outlined what goodness looked like and then turned it over to the private sector to run. And that's likely what will happen here. And what do you think is the biggest hurdle to erecting this system that you have outlined? So Ruth, I'm going to answer this in a pretty strange way, which is technology is not our rate limiting step. Mm -hmm. I think we would all agree that we're at a point in history where, you know, we actually have pretty good tools, storage, compute, security, various model generation technologies. Policy, oh, well, sure, there's policy refinement to be made, but how do you convince an organization to participate in a virtuous global network of sharing data, of sharing results, of maybe the algorithm the organization's generated is really bad? <laughs> and it's okay, you just have to say it's really bad and then work on making it better. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese and Brooke Hayes are our producers. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Ruth Reader. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening. 